session. Podcast Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum. Hello, my name is Annette Südbeck and I welcome you to the Secession podcast. Today I'll be speaking with Margaret Salman, whose exhibition at the Secession opened yesterday night. Margaret Salman is an artist and filmmaker based in Glasgow and in her work she often examines the dynamics of social interactions and representational forms. She's shown widely internationally. Her solo exhibitions include institutions like Dundee Contemporary Arts, Tramway Glasgow, Staatsgalerie Stuttgart, Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis in the US, Witte de Witt in Rotterdam and the Whitechapel Art Gallery in London, just to name a few. And her work has also been featured in many film festivals and major international survey exhibitions like the Venice Biennial in 2007 and more recently Glasgow International and the British Art Show. We are very proud and honoured that Secession adds to this illustrious list of exhibitions and that you, Margaret, have developed a new exhibition at the Secession. In your new films, you focus on men from a feminist perspective. So what was your motivation, really, to choose this subject? Yeah, that's an interesting question. <laughs> when you use the term motivation, it's it's more instinctive, perhaps. So often when I choose to make a new film or or to fall upon a sort of topic... It's a multitude of reasons. You know, some of those I can articulate because they might have to do with politics or my own interests in, in sort of feminist agendas and my own interest in, you know, in sort of unpacking the various kind of realities that we all kind of experience within Western society. But I think, you know, there's also other reasons that might be, you know, more intrinsic or more like to do with my history or my own background and and trying to work through that. So this exhibition is a result of all those things. <laughs> so I guess there's a, also something quite interesting in, in, in thinking about men and masculinity and feminism <laughs> because uh, so much of feminism is built around living in a patriarchal world, right? Mm -hmm. So like... The idea of being a feminist is actually in relation to men or to, to a kind of social and political and economic structure that mainly men have built, right? So, of course, I want to make work about men <laughs> being a feminist. When I look into your way of filmmaking, one thing I find very interesting, and that's you've put together in at one point in a very simple sentence, which to me almost reads like a manifesto. And that's when you say filming is spending time with someone, someplace. Mm -hmm. And so in relation to that quote, I was really wondering how do you approach your participants and how do you work with them? That's what's amazing about film because the time you spend with someone, in, in particular with analog film, is measured through frames and feet, right? So there's a kind of material equivalent to like the breaths and, and the moments that you spent with someone. And that's manifest through the film itself and how that's recreated each time the film is screened, right? 
which is like quite touching and extraordinary and wonderful in and of itself. And, you know, it, it depends on the project that I'm working on. But I mean, in, in this case, I felt that I had a choice at the beginning of the work whether to make a film that was highlighting a kind of criticality about men, you know, or about masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. And masculine tropes in, in film and in photography and narratives we all know very well, or whether to make something that might approach masculinity and ideas about what it is to be a man or how to perform manhood in a more open way, right? So in a more inquisitive and and not predetermined way. So in doing that, I really decided I needed to lead into that, into the adult, you know, quote unquote man and instead begin with babies, you know, even pre-birth, like, right. So even a pregnant woman Mm -hmm. who begins the film uh, Boy Winter, which is in the exhibition, um, and so there's a very literal progression from a kind of, you know, a kind of a pregnant woman who's going to have a male child going through to infants and then toddlers and then, you know, kids and then young adults. And so um, those subjects are vulnerable, right? So they're usually being cared for by adults and there's a kind of structure of care and, and responsibility around them. So. It was very carefully done, and in, in, there was a sort of method of, you know, having conversations about what the film was going to be about, what I was interested in in discussing or, or exploring with all of the groups or all of the people that I worked with. And so I found those people. I mean, they have to be willing participants, right? <laughs> um, so it's very much a kind of exchange where I sort of might ask amongst friends or within the community that I live in in Glasgow or even use social media like Instagram or something and just say I'm doing a casting call if if people are interested. I'm looking for a baby, a male, you know, something like that. Um, And so that's how I found a lot of the people that are featured in in the film. One of the things that's interesting about Boy Winter is there is um, a boxing club called G20 Youth Festival, which is a kind of youth club that I've done work with off and on uh, through the years in Maryhill, Glasgow. You know, there was a kind of process with that, I think, the people running the boxing club, you know, the adults that are teaching boxing, um, you know, are very, very aware that some of the the youth that come to that club are from vulnerable communities. They might really, you know, see that that space is a kind of safe space for them. And so it was really important for them to know what my intentions were, what I was interested in, in making the film. And so we had quite a few conversations before I started filming with all of the the subjects, I'll generally go and meet them first and and even bring my camera as a kind of exploratory tool or a way to kind of show a bit of what what kind of work I'm going to do. So for quite a few of the people in Boy Winter and, and also in Study for a Film About Monuments, that was what I did. I would go with the camera and then and then later return with my my thirty five mil film camera. Yeah, I think that looking at the films, that's something one really feels and it's something that makes it very intriguing. 
also as a viewer because you do get very close to the people in the film and very often I feel there's a very close contact also in terms of eye contact of them looking at the viewer but actually at you holding the camera. And so I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about the relation between camera and subject and how you see your role as a camera woman on site, but also on how you situate yourself in the film. The, um, the work that I do with camera is something that I really enjoy and have been sort of developing over, over well, over 20 years. Or I don't know how long now. <laughs> Part of that work is... Um, Well, if I go back to when when I studied photography, I had a class where we were really encouraged to begin working with lenses, with taking pictures with with people we knew very well. So that might be family or friends or kind of a close community. And so the early work that I made when I was first studying photography was very much coming out of a place where I was quite intimate with my subjects And that exchange was really fascinating and exciting to me and, and interesting. And the results were often had a particular feeling to them. So I think coming from that place where I began sort of from a very personal relationship with subject, I then sort of developed that method with people that maybe I didn't know so well, but I could somehow use the camera as a tool for empathy or for a certain regard, right, that could be developed through attention and care and a kind of gentle approach to observation. So when I'm working with the camera, I'm not looking to extract something from the world. It's more I'm interested in the kind of energy exchange between myself and the thing that I'm filming. I'm as open as I can be. And that partially, that's being sort of non-judgmental, that's being sort of tolerant, that's being like seeing, right? Trying to see with as few filters up as possible. <laughs> and so, so I think that that approach probably allows people to relax a bit. <laughs> so if I can create those conditions and I can sort of open myself, then that invites my the person or thing I'm filming to, to sort of respond. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always happen that way. You know, so that's one, one big part of it, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's also the particularities of the camera and the equipment itself and the material film. And, you know, through those various kind of layers, right, so the, the lens itself, the quality of the glass, the softness of the glass, or the way in which it translates light mm -hmm. onto the film also renders a certain quality within the work. So that's also a part of the method, yeah. Mm -hmm. Going back to the situation of filming, I'm wondering how much um, spontaneity and chance are at play in that or how much do you control situations? I mean, mm -hmm. do the participants just act by themselves mm -hmm. or do you interfere? How is that built up? That's quite a nuanced question because it depends. I mean, what I love to do... <laughs> is to just go into something that's really just happening and I'm just responding to that thing happening and I'm 
using the best of my abilities to keep up with that thing or to make a sense of it through the frame and through the, the camera itself. That said, film, you know, there's a, a finite amount of film, right, that that is like predetermined by budget, by how much stock you can afford to buy and how much time you can really spend, you know, literally spend on the work. So in that sense, you know, sometimes I might see someone doing something and say, oh, could you do that again? Oftentimes that's what might happen. It will be about like kind of being in a space, seeing someone just being themselves, you know, quote unquote, whatever that means to be yourself, <laughs> to be a self in the world with me there. And then I see that and I might say, oh, could you do that one more time? I just want to focus and I'll film that. And mm -hmm. And so that can happen. But but it's um it depends on how comfortable I feel also. I mean, I'm really fascinated by the um, uh, the handheld camera in particular and uh, ways in which you can kind of map the body of the cinematographer mm -hmm. or the, you know, the artist, filmmaker, whatever you want to call them, camera person in the space, you know, and how they're responding to certain people or might not be responding so well. or And I think you can read a lot about a situation through the behavior of the camera person and how that then is mapped through the film. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a kind of choreography to that, and some of it might be instinctive or intuitive. Some of it will be socialized, you know. I was really conscious of certain kinds of people. I'm a mother of three. I've sort of like... You know, feel quite comfortable with a lot of with kids <laughs> after all that time, uh, and and children might be quite open in some instances, not always. So I'll maybe film a certain way, but then, you know, certain of the older men that I was filming, you know, I I was perhaps behaving a bit differently or felt my approach was a bit different, and I would have to work through that mm -hmm. in filming them. I mean, to go even further, I mean, one of the privileges of being a camera person and having subjects agree to be filmed and to want to participate in the filming process is that camera allows you proximity to people. There's, um, you know, a sense of like the lens, right? And, and a kind of optical privilege <laughs> that you have in that, like in real life, I wouldn't necessarily come right up close to you in mm -hmm. your face and, you know, like look very closely at you, Annette. But actually, if I had a camera, I would feel very comfortable coming much closer to you. And mm -hmm. if you seemed okay with that, and, mm -hmm. and that would be okay, that would be part of the relationship. We, we've we agreed in you mm -hmm. agreeing to be a subject and, and me agreeing to film. And so that's like kind of a privilege and a responsibility and that's why maybe we we look at films, we watch them because we actually can get closer to people than we might normally do in 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 the real world out yeah. out there. Yeah, no, this is absolutely wonderful the way you describe this. One thing I recall and I noticed when we were working on the press release for your show, mm -hmm. there was one little tweak you made mm -hmm. when I was talking about your documentary approach. Mm -hmm you shifted to realistic approach. Mm. And I was just wondering, what was your idea behind it? Where do you make that distinction? I mean, it's so, that's such a big question. <laughs> Thinking about the word documentary and the origins of that word as it relates to moving image, 
you go back to the original coining of the term, it was Grierson who was writing about, I think it was a film Moana by Robert Flaherty, and that was the creative treatment of actuality. That was like mm-hmm. kind of like, that was the definition, that was the term. So, you know, that's quite like an ambiguous definition, right? The creative treatment of actuality, what the hell does that mean? I mean, how is that different from anything else anyone does Mm-hmm. in terms of, like, photography or painting or anything, really. Um, so it's a nebula. It's it's a kind of black hole in some ways. I mean, I think there's various figures that have tried to define documentary and what it means, and I think it's we're still in a process of figuring that out. I think within that there's also kind of journalism and, and all kinds of other sort of very factual aspects to sort of, like, using film and, and saying it's a documentary. But for me, I'm I'm interested in realism, and that's connected to documentary. But for me, realism is more about trying to represent the sort of the details of reality as they were when I saw them and not shifting any of those as much as possible. But I can't make promises mm-hmm. that I'm not, you know, changing things ever so slightly or taking artistic license or looking at things through a certain perspective when I'm making a film. And so I'm not really interested in talking about them as documentaries. The word just doesn't suit. I mean, if if we thought of the word as the creative treatment of actuality, yes, I am making documentaries probably. (laughs) But these days, that's not what that means anymore. I'm not sure I want audiences to really expect that they're going to watch a documentary. However, they will come away probably with some sense of reality or the the reality of the moment that I filmed. Well, I think what you do really well is that you kind of avoid gender stereotyping and you manage to speak in a very um, non-authoritarian voice. And so... After we kind of got that reality bit, I'm wondering what's kind of the utopian potential for you in the films you've made? What do the films open up to? Oh, well, I think there's something about the process of paying attention in a certain quality of attention that might allow us to see and to feel without distraction. And so that's part of the intention to really be able to spend time with someone and the quality of that time to be translated in a way that is connects with people watching. So that's the reason why I like to make the work. You already mentioned the technique several times, the camera, the lens. So this analog filmmaking is very fundamental for your work. One question I meant to ask you the whole time is really what intrigues you for filming black and white? Yeah, so, you know, I, I like from a very practical standpoint, um, when I'm making work technically as a technician, mm-hmm. as a kind of like film geek and a technician, I'm interested in trying new things, like with every film, right? So in this instance, I was really interested in shooting on um, black and white stock, which was available through Kodak, newly available. I think Kodak Film Labs got in touch with me and said, oh, we've got a black and white processing machine, by the way, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And I had never shot black and white stock on 35 millimeter. And I was really curious how it would look and to use it. So partially there was a kind of, you know, this gift to myself, right? In terms of the pleasure of like trying to learn and, and hone my craft more and, and experiment with the materials. I think, you know, aesthetically from a practical point of view, there is something about black and white which heightens your, that, you know, that particular form of attention I was talking about. It sort of heightens your attention to certain formal and physical qualities of the thing that you're filming. So, you know, color is like another layer of information, right? Mm -hmm. Which could be potentially distracting or, you know, change, shift the kind of meaning or the, the, the feeling of what you're doing. So, so those were all sort of part of it as well. And yeah, I, you know, then beyond that, from like a kind of film historical <laughs> kind of perspective, you know, it does um, reference probably certain sort of films. In particular, there's this film called We Are the Lambeth Boys, which I was thinking about. And in general, like sort of free cinema movement in, in, in Britain, which were largely black and white. Um, so there was a kind of slight, like sort of references to those films that I was thinking about when I was making it, and especially, you know, filming in Britain and, you know, thinking about young people and in particular teenagers and, and adolescents too. So there was this kind of nice connection there. Um, with my prints, uh, like in the exhibition, I mean, that's a different answer entirely because you know, I'm a black and white printer. Like, I love working in the dark room. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't really be able to do the same experiments. Color printing, I mean, besides the whole idea that actually color printing is much more precarious, you know, as a as a kind of method and a material, color printing and C prints and whatnot is sort of becoming more and more rare as inkjet is really replacing that as a mm -hmm. dominant material. But you know, photochemical kind of wet darkroom printing is still uh, alive and well. <laughs> and so, you know, that is very much working in, in black and white with, you know, shades of different tones, warm and cool and all kinds of things. And that's something that's really fun for me to do and, mm -hmm. and I enjoy, yeah. So photography is on many levels really part of your practice. How do you use photography on sets? Because I think you very often do both. And also the photographs you show in the exhibition are, for a great part, a production stills. What's that relation between the moving and the still image? Yes, yeah. You know, it's really interesting to show the prints and the photographs because it's actually something that I've not shared so much through the years. So it's a relatively recent thing, which I'm very happy to be doing. It's kind of like opening up to the world a bit more. But yeah, I've always really compulsively photographed, like, you know, the, the stills camera is a research tool. I mean, as, as far as, you know, I bring it with me when I go someplace, I'll start making photographs in that place to see what it looks like you know, and as an approach to understanding how I, you know, also then seeing how I see how it looks like, you know, so so what am I drawn to? And then so I can sort of start a conversation, a visual conversation with myself and as a form of 
of entry into a space that I might not be familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a kind of optical prelude <laughs> to, to the act of actually filming. And then sometimes around the research that I'm doing in a particular space, you know, and that's me getting comfortable making images and building images within a certain place. And then also it's about people being comfortable seeing me do that and, you know, making sure everybody's okay about that. You know, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all cool with this. Margaret's here, she's got a camera. You know, this is part of how it works. So it's really important to let people know that this is the process. And then, you know, around that, I'll also make photographs just like on the periphery, maybe for myself, <laughs> whatever that means, <laughs> or as like a sort of compulsion. And so, you know, that goes way back to being like a young girl, you know, maybe in junior high school, I don't know, it was maybe 10 or something, being in the photo club, having maybe a difficult childhood, you know, finding photography early on and using that as a tool for mm -hmm. me to kind of in interface with the world and and maybe, you know, if I, I analyze it a bit, a way of kind of making sense or feeling like I have some control or some, you know, agency within mm -hmm. a kind of big wild world. So it's comfortable and safe as a tool for me, but it's also something that I know so well and is so familiar that it's it's a way for me to articulate thoughts. It's a way for me to think and also just observe and then reflect. So the, the prints in the show are then then move beyond that to start asking the audience questions, you know, they're sort of questioning propositions mm -hmm. that really like get to the heart of, of what kind of drives me, which is, you know, thinking about how do we represent anything? <laughs> you know, it's like, what is representation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in, in particular, what is photographic representation? Mm -hmm. What is the photograph? What does it mean to take a picture of something or someone? How do we read that? How do different people understand that? Mm -hmm. And then how is that misleading? Are there ways of unpacking that or rupturing that or disrupting that? So, yeah, the collages and the prints in that sh in that presentation, you know, I mean, it's called like thinking space, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, you wrapped up all these really huge questions yeah. in a space <laughs> which you called thinking space and where you combine these photographs with very ordinary little things. It's like a whole installation mm. um, of different objects that come together one question I have at this point is maybe how does the title monument relate to that sinking room? I mean, that's a great question. I, you know, the whole exhibition is is a dialectic. You know, mm -hmm. like it's each room is sort of questioning the other room and responding. You know, and so that dialectic is set set up through the title, really, monument, mm -hmm. which. It's trying to understand the ways in which we structure and build meaning and identity through representation, and in particular representations of masculinity, you know, traditionally, but also like, what do we value? What do we build our monuments mm -hmm. to? And who does that building and what does it look like? And 
you know, then how do we read that representation over time? The idea of monument is also like monument making, like a monument is an action, right? It's like, it's not a static thing, even though it might sit there, it holds meaning that has movement, right? So there's like this notion then through the different rooms and through the, in particular, the, you know, the sculptures, which are like these kind of, you know, delicate kind of monuments or, or tributes, you know, to something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're sitting in the space and suggesting and, and inquiring to an audience about, you know, what they might read into that or why did this person, why did Margaret do that? <laughs> you know, what, what was... So there's a kind of, you know, a quizzical kind of quality to all of that. But then with the the stacked monitors being quite literal as a kind of figure, you know, building a figure in the space, but that figure is fractured. And within that fracturing of the figure, those four or five monitors, that's, there's a kind of multiplicity of perspectives and identities within that. Mm -hmm. And they might not be obvious at first, because in a sense, representation can be quite banal and kind of simplistic. But then when you look deeper, or you might read who's in the statue, you know, you might start to think a bit more about what the meaning is of that particular monument or that the monument might be a sort of like um, an impossibility, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the idea of monument as a process, almost as a verb, mm-hmm. um, like you describe it, which I think is really a very good link between the physical monuments and then the way you tell about boys and man in the film. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really a nice way of looking at both of them and how they are connected. You've also included in that installation, or at least set aside, a book by Benjamin Greer, The Boy, mm-hmm. which is also part of the film. And I wanted to ask you what this book as a kind of reference for the work means to you. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, I'm I'm not necessarily a big fan of Greer or a big supporter of her. And I mean, I can acknowledge that there's a lot of controversy around her, you know, her position about trans rights and a kind of essentialist idea of woman and all of these issues that are more related to right now. I mean, that publication was from a while back. It was something when I first spoke to a few friends about making a film about men and in particular looking at boys, that a few people recommended that. And I was it was really helpful as a source because um, there was also this this book by Carol Maver, this um, sort of, I don't know how you'd explain it, she's kind of art historian, but wrote this very uh, somewhat autobiographical book. I think it's called Reading Boyishly. And um, at the time between Greer and, and that other text, it was really thinking through like boyishness. And in particular, what I found interesting about Greer's um, book is, you know, really trying to lean into like ideas about femininity and masculinity and boyishness or boyhood or, you know, as a kind of space of ambiguity or exploration of all of those different qualities that was felt to me at the time, you know, to be quite a fluid and free space. I guess I related to it also in a sense that I was a sort of tomboy, you know, when I was growing up, probably am now as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, you know, I could really relate to that sense of a kind of the possibility for a woman to be boyish, you know, and this idea that there's a certain kind of register or a certain kind of texture to the figure of the boy that Greer, you know, sort of proposes has been sort of explored in past cultures and histories within, you know, mostly Euro European art, right? But in some ways that space has really been quite limited in mm -hmm. recent years and thinking more about beauty and how beauty might be sort of now quite uh, siphoned into a kind of very feminine idea about what beauty is. But actually, that's not true, <laughs> right? So it was thinking a bit more about that space of the boy. And yeah, Greer popped up then later. So I'd looked at, and the reason it's in the film is quite literally the sort of serendipitous things that happen when you're filming and you're sort of just opening yourself up to the world. You know, sometimes those things will just kind of pop out. Literally what happened was there's a scene in a bookshop in Boy Winter where, um, you know, there's a, a man working there and he um, he was working there. He, he doesn't necessarily look like he's working there, but he's he finds the book. Uh, Greer's book and he takes it off the shelf and he starts mm -hmm. looking through it and then it sort of flips through to this image that ends on I think Elvis and then we cut to Lida in the film who has a very similar quality to Elvis. Lida's non-binary and 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 then is is making a drawing of me filming. So there's this kind of really interesting line of a discourse around representation and and mm -hmm. all of that, but. You know, the reason it was in the film was because I was just, I had been in that bookshop a few days before when I had been scouting for, you know, to, to, to meet people to film. And I had bought a book from that very spot that he took the book from. A few days later, I'm going back to film the couple with the baby that actually in the film, you sort of see them in the window and you go down to the bookshop. And I look inside the bookshop because it's a really nice one. <laughs> it's really good. It's an Oxfam. And it has that book in the spot that I had vacated with my purchase a few days before. That book was replaced there. <laughs> so um, I don't know. It was just, yeah, it was just like one of those, like, well, I have to film it. Like, that's, well, that's that, you know. Mm -hmm. We'll do a shot. And then, and then you know, we asked Oxfam. The bookshop people were really friendly and and. One of their staff agreed to be in the in the shot, and that was that. That's a really wonderful story. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like the way you just describe really how you work with the local community and how things come together and how this kind of sense of space really gets into the film. That's really cool. I mean, that's what's part of the pleasure when you're really open and inquiring and not predetermined in what you want to do, then you allow for these gifts to happen. You know, like you're open to something coming to you instead of you going to it, mm -hmm. which is a, it's a lovely feeling when it works. <laughs> you were talking about the beauty of boys at some point, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. just to take that question of beauty, does the idea of beauty guide your decision making? You know, because 
I personally think that your photography or your filming is so incredibly beautiful. <laughs> the way you yeah, just compose your images. So I'm just wondering whether that is kind of a criteria for you or um, whether it's more intuitively. Well, thank you. That's very nice. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in some, in some communities, beautiful photography, you know, beauty is like, a bad word, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess I wasn't educated in that. I don't think I ever really encountered that. So my my approach to photography has always been devotional. Mm-hmm. And part of the devotion is in a kind of expression of love, right? So partially the expression of love to me is in sort of making images or using the tools in a way that maybe amplifies or heightens that kind of amorous quality (laughs) you know my students would agree with this because you know in terms of representations of beauty there's no hierarchy of beauty in my Mm -hmm. mind right if something's um don't know how to say it like anything and everything is beautiful to me and I would could make a picture that expresses that a photograph so it's you know, it's it's my my role. That's how I see the world or how I might make the work that I want to make. It's also, it's always simultaneously a celebration of photography itself, of, of sort of optical representation. Um, and it's also a kind of expression of love, right? So I, I think... I'm digressing a little bit, <laughs> but like I'm not interested in sexualized or beauty imagery in terms of like glamour photography <laughs> and, you know, like, I don't know, advertising makeup and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not that's not the kind of beauty I'm after. I'm interested in ways in which I can use photography to indicate some some idea of the sublime or some relationship to the soul or the person beyond their surface Mm -hmm. right so photography can kind of play into that uh film can as well right so that's something that's it's really hard to articulate which i've actually struggled articulating just now but you know i think it has to do somewhat with regard and a sort of temperature or a certain warmth or quality that comes through in the work and i think sometimes when you're saying beautiful image or you know, it's aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. because it might have a certain skill or attention to detail to it. But I think there's also a sense of warmth or mm-hmm. an approach, which in my case might also have to do with a kind of personal touch or it's kind of human mm-hmm. level that, you know, there's a kind of craft to it where, you know, you might say, oh, that wooden bowl is quite beautiful mm-hmm. and it's made by hand, right? As opposed to that, like... That like mass-produced plastic one over there. So there's there's levels of beauty. I mean, we could go on and on. <laughs> we could, yeah. So before we wrap this up, I just wanted to say or mention the publication that's coming up and that will accompany your exhibition because that has a very special approach which will also thematize the camera technique and the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Maybe as you have really conceptualized the book, mm-hmm. you can tell us a little bit about the idea behind it. Well, I mean, I first acknowledge your support and secession's support with this book, which has been turned out to be quite an undertaking. 
<laughs> but I think it's a very generous and, and for me, a really important marker of a certain inquiry and devotion, you know. So the book has two components. One is a, uh, and I wouldn't call it an archive, but it's a collection of responses by a range of, of women, camera people, filmmakers, artist filmmakers, about their technique, right? So, the, you know, the title of the book is Cinematographer, <laughs> which is a kind of feminized, you know, take on cinematographer, right? And so it's really my quest, which has been lifelong, of finding other women who use cameras and learning about what their life has been like and how they approach cameras. You know, unpacking a bit of that history, but also acknowledging their particular techniques or, or knowledge and skills. Uh, so there's a group of women who've responded um, to my technical questions, and that is shared in one part of the book. And, you know, there's a range of women, uh, Babat Mangold. It's intergenerational, it's international, uh, Reastore in the UK, Alia Saeed, um, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. it's quite exciting. And then the other part of the book is uh, an introduction to using three different analog cameras. They're my cameras, they're cameras that I use. And so that's very much, uh, you know, part of my practice, which is about teaching and also, you know, sharing knowledge around analog processes at this time when some of that knowledge might be becoming more, less accessible as more sort of digital technologies is it's kind of becoming the dominant mm -hmm. medium. And that's a, a really, it's a visual guide to loading and then shooting, you know, or starting to shoot a film with each camera. And that's also, you know, um, thinking too about images, representations, right? So we're talking about representation in the show. And, you know, the book itself is really a feminist project and an intersectional feminist project. So that's about kind of holding space and then representing the work of non-dominant sort of bodies within the quote-unquote industry of, of artist film, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's three different people using cameras in those images, and those people might not be the kinds of people that you normally, you know, would have seen in, in the 20th century and representations of who's using cameras. And so that's that's an important part of the project as well. I think your practice in a way is, also, is really rooted in the tradition of cinema of the 1960s and 70s. I was wondering what you think of the idea of the collective, which at that time was also very um, important in filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And that connects also about female solidarity mm -hmm. and maybe also about the economy of filmmaking and how this... Yeah, has kind of shaped your experience. Oh, you know, I mean, in so many ways, I'm still learning and growing as I, you know, I hopefully will do until, you know, my last breath. <laughs> we'll see. But, you know, I, for many years, I worked in a very isolated way, actually. And I think part of this process has been me sort of searching for community and, and a kind of collective attitude or, or a collective energy, you know, and support network, which has taken a long time for me to find and to, to build and is still in process, you know. 
But I mean, I am really interested in talking about the book with yourself and with the mm -hmm. designers. It, you know, it's been interesting to think about hierarchies, you know, mm -hmm. about status, about authorship, you know, and then for me to question and think about, okay, well, what would, what would a critical feminist approach to this be? You know, how could we do things differently? What do we value in terms of, you know, making this and then naming it and distributing it and presenting it to the world? What does that, how do we articulate a kind of non-hierarchical collective idea of ownership or of, you know, working together? Yeah, even things like thinking about like alphabetical order, last names, first names, you know, all the ways in which we, you know, power is infused in the very details of everyday life. We accept those details as being normal, but actually as one changes and grows and your consciousness shifts, you might, you know, some quite early, some quite late, some never, some, you know, always, you know, you start questioning and thinking, oh, actually, it's not the way we have to do things. So, you know, the book itself is a kind of experiment in that because filmmaking does have an order and a technique to it. It's not like I could just make a film with, you know, I can't just take all of my film stock out into the light and expect me to be able to expose on it. You know, there is a kind of material, a definite quality to it that needs to be adhered to. So that's really interesting, you know, thinking of what what is what is socialized within that process, you know, and shaped in a certain way or in a certain identity. And then what part of that process is actually its essence and needs to be respected and, and maintained, right? So partially the book is thinking through that, uh, you know, how, how alternative perspectives and, and approaches might be applied to that same technology. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was like probably the best advertisement we could get for that book. <laughs> That's one thing. But also, yeah, thank you for the whole talk. It was so generous of you to share your thoughts with us. And I'm just really grateful. And it was after this kind of long and intense week that we've been able to do this. Well, thank you. It's been, yeah, brilliant questions. Thank you. Session. Podcast. Artists. The production of this podcast was made possible by the kind support of the Dorotheum.